Welcome to One Cause Church. Here is another inspirational message from Senior Pastor Eric Holler. I'm glad you're here today. I'm glad to be here today. It's good for us. It's good for us to be in the house of God. I've never regretted going to church. I've regretted going to some places in my life, but I've never regretted going to church. Always leave feeling better and uh, clean. I don't know what it is about just being in the house of God with God's people. Feel cleaner. Am I the only one that feels that way? Right? Got the, the past week washed off of you. It's a new start. It's a new beginning. No better place to start that than in the house of God. So I'm, I'm so blessed that you're here. And um, <clears throat> I, I was watching the, uh, I had to record the inauguration ceremony. For, I was down at uh, Christ for the Nations um, on that day for the better part of the morning. And so on the way home, though, I, I had turned it on talk radio and, and President Trump was giving his speech. And uh, I, was, uh, I was really encouraged by his speech. It was powerful. It was bold. It was very unifying. Called Washington out in front of everybody. And, and I, I just loved it. And he said, the, this, this power is the people's, not, not Washington's. And, and talked about, you know, wiping the radical Islamic terrorism from the face of the earth. And all this garbage that's been going on in the streets against the police officers and the senseless crime stops today. And uh, I just really appreciate him for taking some strong leadership. Yeah. And, and, and if, if he'll do what he says, I think that, that we'll do well. But that all was good. But I have to say that even just him talking about God's protection over our country was very encouraging and talked about our children all having the right by their creator to learn in the best kind of atmosphere. And then the prayers that came up and Franklin Graham stood up and, yeah. and, and quoted 1 Timothy chapter 2, there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And it was just so encouraging to hear all of the references and the, the acknowledgement of God in our nation and declaring the name of Jesus. So I was encouraged by all of that. And uh, so I want you to continue to pray. Uh, there's, you know, these guys, they don't, I mean, can you imagine? You know, I heard one comedian put it like this, the great Brian Regan. If you've never heard Brian Regan, you need to listen to Brian Regan. But he said, I would, ne-, he said, I don't know who would want the job of the president of the United States. He said, every morning you're woken up like this. Problems, problems, problems. <laughs> But I appreciate somebody who will take the job, and the best we can do is get behind them and, uh, and uh, root for them and pray for them. Yeah. So, uh, but all, all that was cool, and as I was telling the earlier service, I was really blessed personally because um, when I graduated high school in San Angelo from a little school called Angelo Christian School, there was a huge, we had a huge graduating class of six, <laughs> three boys and three girls. Now, I like to tell people I graduated fourth in my class, but I usually don't say it's in the bottom 50%. So just say fourth and leave it at that. But uh, a, a, a fellow who I graduated with, his name is Casey Eaton, a few months ago uh, just took the position actually of wing commander of Air Force One. And, uh, and so it was cool to see him there uh, escorting the Obamas, um, to their place and just watching them interact and now knowing that he's going to be flying President Trump around, I thought, I know that guy. 
came from a little bitty Christian school in San Angelo, Texas. And it made me, watching that, made me think, Eric, you need to probably step it up, step up your game a little bit, you know? <laughs> His name is Casey Eaton, Colonel Casey Eaton now. I'm really proud of my friend. Let's take our Bibles and go to the book of Ephesians chapter 1. Interesting that I'm speaking from Ephesians uh, this morning and then this coming Wednesday. That's the book we've landed in for Route 66 as well. Um, I didn't really do that on purpose. It just now dawned on me, actually. But um, I love the songs that we sang this morning, and um, I think that they really helped prep us for just this, this message specifically today. And I, uh, we, didn't, we didn't organize that, did we? God did that. That was really cool. And even the scripture reading out of Colossians, it was so all just a good theme of, because this whole thing is really, uh, we're just focusing on our Savior today. And today uh, I've titled this message, Lasting Effects from Sun Exposure. Lasting Effects from Sun Exposure. We're going to um, dig through and find some of these effects for those who have encountered Jesus the Christ. And verse 7 says that in him we have, you're going to see if you, if you spend any time in the book of Ephesians, especially in chapters 1 and 2, but really it's the entire book, but it's big time in 1 and 2, you're going to see this theme, this phrase over and over again, in him, in him. So you can basically sum it up at the book of Ephesians in those two words, in him. In him we have, why don't you all shout, in him. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Verse 9, having made known to us the mystery of his will. God doesn't want his will to be mysterious to you. Now he's made known what it is. According to the good, his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also, are you catching the theme already? In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Verse 12, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Father, now thank you for these next few minutes together with my family. I thank you for the privilege and the responsibility and the call I have to do this, to preach your word. Woe to me if I don't do it. And Father, I thank you now for the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Christ to be able to fall upon all those who are here in this room, those who are watching our live stream, and those who will be listening by podcast. I just thank you now, God, for your blessing upon them. And Lord, today we want to grow. Today, Lord, we want to know more. We want to experience you in a greater way. We want to know more about you, Lord. You have, there's so much to you. And for eons and eons ahead of us, God, we are continually going to be amazed at our God and how rich you are in your abundance of grace. You're going to continue to unfold to us the dimensions of your grace, God, and we will forever stand in awe of you. In this moment, God, in this place, in this time in our life, in our situations and our circumstances, we want to hear from you. So, Lord, we've, we've come here to this building to gather 
in the name of Jesus and to hear what God is saying, speak to us. Open up your scripture to us. Shine the light on it for us. Help us to understand. Help us to perceive. Help us to know. In the name of Jesus, amen. Lasting effects from sun exposure. When you get around Jesus, you will be affected, no doubt about it. And the first effect that we see that this sun brings to us is found in verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood. Let's all say redemption. Redemption. It's good to be redeemed. When I was growing up in southern Oklahoma, our little country church called Victory Chapel, we had a pastor there by the name of Brother Morton. And he, um, he had had a surgery on his throat when he was a boy, and the doctor um, clipped his vocal cords. And they said that he would never be able to talk uh, again, but he did. Now, he didn't have a voice like you and I. He got to talk like this. They called him the whispering evangelist. He don't talk like this. But he always loved that song that Fanny J. Crosby wrote, uh, Redeemed. Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. You know that song? Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed through His infinite mercy. His child and forever I am. It's a good song. Redeemed. Encore. I'll take the encore. Redeemed. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed. Redeemed. His child and forever I am. Beautiful. Redemption, the Bible dictionary defines it as a releasing effected by payment of ransom. Well, that's good. You know, the value of something is determined by the one, by the, uh, by the price, I'm sorry, that one is willing to pay for it. And God loved you so much that he was willing to pay the kind of price he did. That's how worthy you are to him. Now, it's that kind of thinking that makes us think that we're unworthy, though, doesn't it? Was I really worth that? There was this little track, uh, evangelism track, that I can remember my, my dad used to hand out on the streets. He, he spent a lot of years street, as a street preacher, and so he would take me and my brother out with him sometimes, and, uh, and we'd pass out tracks. And there was this one that, that I really loved. It was a real simple little track. It just said on the front cover, it said, what do you think you're worth? And then you'd open up the track, and it, and it had a, G, a hand, a, a sketched hand of Jesus, a sketching of Jesus' hand with a nail pierced in it, and it said, God thinks you're worth the death of his son. It was that simple, but that's the beauty of, that's, that's the gospel, that God thought you were worth the death of his son, because that, that shows that he just does not want to spend eternity without you. He did everything that he could to have you in his life and was willing to pay the highest price to have you. Yeah. There was a, a gym dealer uh, strolling the aisles at the uh, Tucson, Arizona Gym and Mineral Show years ago, and he noticed on uh, one man's table that there was a violet blue stone sitting there, and it was about the size and the shape of a potato. And so he picked it up, and he's looking over this thing, and then him being uh, an expert... Uh, in this uh, in gyms, he he realized that he had something really valuable, and so with that he approached the man at the table, the dealer at the table, and calmly as possible asked him if he would take fifteen dollars for this rock. And the man took it from him and looked it over, and and he had a lot of other much prettier stones there on display on his table, and. 
He knows that it's marred in a couple of places, so he just says, I think $10 is more fair than 15, so I'll take 10. And with that, the man paid $10 for this stone. Well, that stone has since been certified a 1905 carat natural star sapphire. It's about 800 carats larger than the known largest stone of its kind, and it was appraised at $2,280,000. The fact that it took the very precious blood of the Son of God to redeem you shows you, proves to you, just how valuable you are to your God. Without the shedding of blood, God, made, God set the standard. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Jesus had to give his own body. He said, this is my body which is broken for you. He had to give his own blood. This is the blood of, my, of the new covenant which is shed for many for the remission of, of sins. He gave everything that he had to save you from your sins. And whether you see yourself as unworthy of that kind of payment, that's not really what really matters. God already determined your value. He knows that you were worth every drop of blood that was shed from his own son. What a love that is. What a gift that is. What a blessing God has blessed us with in his son. The blessing of redemption. This next thing, look at verse 7. It says, in him we have redemption through his blood. This next effect that we'll look into is the forgiveness of sins or remission. I, I looked up this word remission in the Greek the, um, and when, when you look up the, in the Strong's Concordance, you find that this word can either represent remission, forgiveness, or liberty. It's a great word. And, and, but in its definition, it says release from bondage or imprisonment. That's good. Forgiveness or pardon of sins. Listen to this. Letting them go as if they had never been committed. Remission of the penalty. I'm grateful to God that he's not like me in that because I've heard my own self say, I can forgive, but I can't forget. But when God forgives, it's like it never happened. He casts those sins as far as the east is from the west and remembers them no more. There was a little orphan boy who was very poor. The orphanage itself was poorly funded. And he was just wanting to be in a family. And he saw families come and go. He saw children, other orphans, be accepted into other families, yet only for him to be passed over. And after facing rejection, and after being in an atmosphere of simple discipline and not much love or affection known, just do the right thing, behave. One day, right after he turned eight years old, a family showed up. This little boy is poorly clothed and poorly shod. Looks like a little mess. But this family loved him and they adopted him. And when they adopted him, they signed all the papers, and he became their own, and they took him home. And his new mom had him remove his old, tattered, and worn clothes 
and she put brand new clothes on him. The dad did something kind of interesting, though. He took the old shoes off, worn out with holes in them, and he put them up on the fireplace mantle in the house. And as time went by, the, the, the young boy began to integrate into the life of a child, the life of a loving home, a mom and dad who accepted him and loved him and made friends in, in the neighborhood and made friends in school and, and was enjoying new things, nice clothes, nice shoes, and good home-cooked meals. Then one day, he was caught in a lie. And he was so ashamed and he thought for sure that he would be taken back to his orphanage. And his dad takes him into the living room and sits him down on the couch and walks over to that fireplace and takes the shoes off the mantle and brings them back over and sits them down in front of his son and says, Son, when you wear those shoes, you were alone. When you wore those shoes, you were poor and poorly provided for. When you wore those shoes, you belonged to no one. But you were wearing those shoes the day I loved you. You were wearing those shoes the day I came and found you. You were wearing those shoes the day your mother and I brought you home. And for the rest of your life, you will be ours. And I will love you for the rest of my life. Not because you're good or bad, son, but because you're my son. Yeah. Amen. Your heavenly father has done something quite remarkable for you in forgiveness and in remission. That Christ, when... In all of that agony and all of that torment and all of that rejection, not only from men, not only the denial of Peter, not only the betrayal of Judas, but being forsaken by his own father, would dare say, Father, forgive them. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Because there was a time when God would ask his people, he would wonder why they were rebelling from him. Why? You could hear it all throughout the Old Testament. Why are you doing this? Why? Turn to me. Why would you turn to these foreign gods? Have you forgotten? And yet Jesus, Jesus understands us now. Jesus understands us. He walked amongst them. He talked to them. He healed them. He delivered them. He cast out devils. And now when he looks up to the Father, now he looks to the Father on behalf of men because now he is a man and he says, they don't know what they're doing. If they knew you like I knew you, this would all change. So I'm asking you to forgive them so they can know you like I know you. And when God brought you into the family and he forgave you of all of your sins, he has said, you're in the family now. And for the rest of your life, I'm going to love you. For the rest of your life, I will not count your sins against you. Hallelujah. Let's continue to read. Look at verse 9 of Ephesians chapter 1. Redemption. Remission. And now we come to verse 
9, having made known to us, I love that, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. Now, this next effect from being exposed to the Son is revelation. He, having made known to us the mystery of his will, how did he do that in his Son? As we read in Colossians this morning that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is the revelation of God to us. His name is Emmanuel, God with us. And having conversations with people throughout the years, Christians and non-Christians alike, I've found that when people think of God, some feel fearful when they think about Him. Some sense that He's angry or, or, or some feel themselves angry or confused about Him. All kinds of ideas and thoughts and emotions are stirred up at the thought of God. Or they think He's angry or disappointed with them or that He's cruel or, and unjust, especially when they look at the world and think that it's all God's doing, or that he's just distant and not relatable. And unfortunately, even many of his own children can think on those terms. But this happens because of ignorance. It happens because of bad experiences in life. It happens because of loss. It happens because of hurts. It happens because of bad teaching. It happens because of The flaw of human reasoning is the book of wisdom called Proverbs says there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is destruction. How is that? Because because now human reasoning has this perspective that is set through the lens of the knowledge of good and evil. And that's as good as it can get. What is right and what is wrong. And in that... In the knowledge of good and evil, my family, there is no room for relationship. With the knowledge of good and evil, if there's no room for relationship, then it's impossible to trust God. So, after, rather than seeing God and life through a relationship, they only are governed by rules. That's good, that's bad. That's good. That's evil. Rules, unfortunately, mostly made up by the individuals themselves. So picture this. We have a slew of people, and amongst the slew of people is a whole gamut of thoughts and belief systems and of what is good and what is evil. So everyone, in a sense, puts on the big black robe, sets in the big chair or the bench, and takes the gavel in his hand and says, I'll be the judge of that. After all, it's the knowledge of good and evil that gives me this right, this power. I'll be the judge. And so they judge God. They judge humanity. They judge the world. They judge themselves through that kind of reasoning. And that makes for no bit of peace. And there is no revelation of God in that way of thinking. So what happened to Adam, he chose rules over relationships. 
That kind of thinking plagued C.S. Lewis for many years. When he was just a boy, he suffered the loss of his mother. He prayed for her, and she died. Then he became really angry with God. Because he had concluded by that that God didn't care and that God was cruel and unfeeling. Matter of fact, maybe he doesn't exist at all. So he became a self-proclaimed atheist. And he was set out to fight the thought of God and to reason with others that God wasn't there. Or if he was, you couldn't relate to him. But his claims were that as he thought and if he reasoned in truth, the conclusion of his thought processes would always end at God. So he finally decided, okay, I can't really claim that God isn't, but I can say this, he doesn't care and I can't relate to him which fueled his anger at God even more. And for years he struggled with this. But all of that changed on a day in 1931 when he and his friend Jack and his brother Warney decided to take a trip to the zoo. And on their way, Jack, or you may better know him as J.R.R. Tolkien, the author of The Lord of the Rings, Talk to Lewis about Jesus, and I'll just give you a quote from Lewis about this experience, about this moment. He says, as Tolkien revealed to me who Jesus was and is, things began to come together. The clouds all went away. All of a sudden, God wasn't so far away. He was within my reach. I could understand him. I could talk to him. I could have a real relationship with him. That's the difference that Jesus made. One God, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. In Jesus, God will bring it all together. He is God revealed to you. And, and the scripture says that he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And then Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and have more abundantly. John says it like this, for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested to destroy the works of the devil. What Jesus revealed to you and I was that this God is a good God. And he's on your side and he loves you and he came to heal you and he came to redeem you. He came to have relationship with you. Why go through all the trouble of becoming a man if he didn't want to know us and us to know him? But the fact that he became a man should stop all arguments that God is no longer relatable or he just wants us to live by rules. No, he wants to know you. He wants to be in your life for the rest of your life. That's why he calls it a family. That's why he wants you to see him not as judge, but as father. What a big brother we have, huh? Jesus did not come to earth to judge your sins. He came to earth to be judged for your sins. That's the beautiful thing of the gospel. See, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen who? The Father. The fullness of our relationship is revealed in and through God's precious Son. All the clouds go away in Him, and the light of His unfailing and unending love 
encompasses and saturates your whole being, spirit, soul, and body. And by his good pleasure forever and ever, you and I will enjoy our relationship with God free from uncertainty and security and fear and separation. Let's look at this last thing here for a moment. Verse 11, this last effect here that we're going to look at today. In him also we have obtained an inheritance and being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Now this is talking about your rights. You have an inheritance, you have rights to have what God has. Now that's extraordinary to me. Because what he showed us is, in giving Jesus, there's nothing he would keep back from us. Nothing. It's the most precious thing. Everything about God is wrapped up in his son. And Paul said, if he'll give you Jesus, he'll give you anything. If he didn't spare his own son, but he delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? So you have rights because now you're born into the family. And those that are born in the family are the ones who have the right to the inheritance. Imagine, if you will, if you got the information to come to a reading of a will of a distant relative of yours, or maybe a close relative, they've passed away, and you found out that you're going to receive something in the will. There's an inheritance for you. As a matter of fact, it's several million dollars. Would you make sure to cancel all other plans to be there? Yeah, you would. You might even pray a Joshua kind of prayer to get there. Son, stand still. I'm on my way to get my inheritance. You get there, and sure enough, your name's in the will. And, and, the man, and, and they tell you how many millions of dollars has been awarded to you through this inheritance. However, there's just one stipulation. You'll get it when you die. See, when I was growing up as a kid in, in our little country church in Oklahoma, we used to sing out of the book a lot. And I can remember so many of the songs that we sang were all about this glorious day about heaven. And it is a glorious day. And everything was going to be perfect and right. And we're going to have, uh, we got an inheritance waiting for us there. You know, we've got white robes we're going to wear. We're going to live in mansions and we're going to walk the streets of gold and all, all these kinds of things. And it's all going to be good there. But until then. We must trod the trail of a lonely pilgrim on earth. And eke out an existence and limp through this life, knowing but all but one day, when we die, it's all going to be good. Listen, you have an inheritance, not because you die, not when you die, but when he died. And the testator has enforced the will by his death. That's when the will becomes active in your life, relevant in your life. My family, Jesus died. Hallelujah. Hey, listen, the gospel is not just Jesus died on a cross. He was buried and he rose from the dead the third day. It's not the fact that he even died on a cross. Well, he died. I got to preach the cross, the cross, the cross. Okay, well, it, that, that really wasn't really the point of the gospel. The, the, the cross was just the instrument that was used in his death 
I mean, Jesus could have died several ways. The crosses, there were lots of men that died on crosses and nobody got saved by those. So it wasn't about dying on a cross that saved you. And the message of the gospel isn't the fact that he just died and was buried and he rose again. There are, there are three key words in this gospel that make all the difference. It's really the essence of it. Christ died for our sins. There it is. That's the power of the gospel. That's what makes God a relatable God. That's what makes him a very personal God when he did it for me. He didn't just display some act of salvation and said, now you need to believe this. No, he did it for you. He became a man for you. He died for your sins. And so for every individual, everyone who says, I believe that. I believe and I receive that you died for my sins are instantaneously brought into the family. Instantaneously made the righteousness of God in Christ. Instantaneously free from the curse of sin and death. Instantaneously made eternally alive. And brought into an inheritance. Now they have rights. What do you have? What rights do you have? Well, that's why you came to church today. You might not have known that's why you came, but I'm here to help you understand one reason why you came, because right now what's happening here is the reading of the will. You've come to the reading of the will, and every time you hear the word of God preach, you're sitting at the reading of the will, and you're there to find out what has God for me. In these promises, in this book, it's full of promises, full of good things that God wants to get to you, full of things that Jesus paid for, for you to have, and you have a right to it, because now he is your father, and heaven is your home. Amen. And the church is your family. It has already been enforced. It is already enacted. Now, all you have to do is receive it. One thing I love, I'm going to finish with this thought. When I think about being a part of the family of God, now, I don't know, maybe some of you um, have family that you're not real proud of, and you're kind of um, ashamed of, and when they come around, Christmas time, holidays, you're just kind of hoping that nothing happens, you know? You're just kind of hoping everything stays peaceful, but more than likely when they're around, there's going to be a windstorm around them and chaos, and it's like the Tasmanian devil showing up at your house. Drama and, you know, I'm probably the only person in here that has some family members like that, and, and okay, whatever, but I'm sure you all come from perfect homes. And maybe I'm not talking about your immediate family, but you, you know you got some whacked out cousins and uncles out there that need some extra prayer. And so you do your best to spend as little time with them as possible. But at the end of the day, they are family. But there's a scripture, a verse of scripture that gets me every time I read it. And it says that Jesus is not ashamed to call us brethren. He's not ashamed of you. 
He's not ashamed of any of his family. Why would anybody in the family ever be ashamed of him? Or afraid to speak of him? So Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. He ain't ashamed of me. Now, I'm ashamed of things I've done. I'm ashamed of things I've said, but I'm certainly not ashamed of that gospel. I'm not ashamed of the one who's not ashamed of me. (laughs) Hallelujah. I love this, that we've been brought into. Redemption, remission, revelation, and rights. Hallelujah. Can we bow our heads for just a moment? Lord, thank you for this great day. Thank you, God, for what it, what it has meant for us and continues to mean for us to have Jesus in our life, to have God revealed to us in this man, Christ Jesus, in our mediator, our high priest, our Lord, our Savior, our God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your blood. Thank you that you bought us Thank you that you saw that we were valuable when you came, sent by the Father, and you came in the love of God and said, I didn't come here to condemn you. I came to save you. I came to fix your mess. I came to bring you to God. Thank you that you've ransomed us from the sin and death in hell. Thank you that you have forgiven us of all of our sins. Every weakness, every failure, every downfall, every sin. None of it measures up to the power of your forgiveness. It's all washed away, all forgotten. Father, We're asking you to help us to accept this truth, to really repent today where we have gone down that self-righteous, false humiliation road of I'm not worthy and and knowing that's not how you think at all. As a matter of fact, the, the word says that in your sight, we are now above reproach. We're holy. We're blameless in your sight through Jesus. God, help us to see it like you do. Help us to... Let these lights come on. Give us that revelation. Help us to see it, God, so that we we cast off the ways of the world and its thinking, human reasoning and all that stuff when it comes to our God. No, no, no. We We know you because you reveal yourself to us in your scripture. You show us who you are, that we'll just believe that despite how we feel or have thought before, that we'll stop arguing about it, God, just to believe you and trust you. And God, that we will go after what you've given us. We won't be shy and we won't, we won't pray small prayers and think small thoughts. But God, when you gave us Jesus and your word said you'll freely give us all things, help us, God, to sense the magnitude of that. Yeah. And to take what you've given us, to be ready recipients of your abundant grace and your abundance in every area of our lives. To not be ashamed or afraid of it. Because this world is in turmoil. This world is sighing, dying, crying humanity, looking 
waiting, eagerly waiting for the revealing of the sons of God who will act like God's children in the earth, who will unashamedly stand up and shine a light of the goodness and the grace of God and show the way and declare this message. Hey, Christ died for your sins. You don't have to. He died for your sins and your guilt and your shame and your loneliness and the the void that's in your life. He came to bring you to God. And they buried him in a tomb, but God raised him from the dead so that you'll raise from the dead someday too. You have assurance of eternity with him. Thank you, God. Thank you. Every good thing in our life comes from you. Help us to see that, recognize it, to thank you for it, to live that life of gratitude continually in our family, our jobs, our cars we drive, the clothes we wear, the health that we're feeling in our bodies. God, help us to remember to thank you for these things. All of this is given from you. Even this gathering today, thank you for this. Thank you for that. We live in this nation. Hallelujah. Thank you for our friends. I want you to think for just a moment about anything yesterday that you did. Maybe you went to the mall or to a garage sale or did something. Just any small thing or clean the house, <laughs> whatever. Just think and thank God for that moment. Thank God that you had that experience. Thank God for it. Just thank Him for it. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, that I got to build a skateboard with my son yesterday in the garage. I thoroughly enjoyed that. Thank you for that experience. Thank you. I thank you now for your blessing upon all these here. And grace and peace be multiplied to them. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you and give you peace in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.